Hey, my name is Shannon Lee, and you're listening to The Slapcast. Hey, everyone. Once again, welcome to The Slapcast. This is Shannon Lee, your host. Uh, This is episode 17. Super excited that we're almost to 20. Please like and subscribe if this is your first time here. Hit me up at slapcast at relayleadership.org. Tell me what you like, what you don't, and what you'd like to hear more of. Maybe even what you'd like to add. I want to hear from you about the Slapcast, even if it's about a guest, a topic, whatever. You can connect with us on the daily uh, at our socials, which are at Relay Leadership. This is the stuff you don't always get on the podcast. Um, I should also mention our email list. I never mention our email list. You just go to RelayLeadership.com and click the button that says join email list. It's very subtle. Join email list. Um, That way you get all the up-to-date details on ways you can get involved, local events. Now, don't worry, we don't spam or anything like that. We send a weekly newsletter every Tuesday and then occasionally some separate emails about events and workshops. And that's it. Another reminder, our next big annual event locally here in Columbus is coming up on October 17th. It's called Impact Columbus. For those of you who've been around a while, you know that this was known many years ago as the annual leadership prayer breakfast. And if you want to know more about the name change, you're going to have to go back, listen to episode 16, where I go into a little more detail on that. But to get info on Impact Columbus, you just need to go to impactcolumbus.com. Get details on ticketing, etc. I'd love to see you there and for you to come and say hi. On today's episode, I thought it might be kind of fun and interesting to unpack one of the topics in a book that I'm writing. I know, shameless plug. I'm writing a book called Servant Leader Mindset. Now, for those of you who are new, the reason why I'm writing a book on Servant Leader Mindset, our organization, Relay, is all about servant leadership. So it's not just servant leadership in action, but how do we behave like servant leaders? How do we think like servant leaders? And how do we make this a part of who we actually are? So our specialty really in the learning and development space is on mindset shifts. And the platform we use for that is servant leadership. So we're not interested in just telling folks or training folks on how to act like a servant leader, but how to embody servant leadership. I firmly believe that any kind of serious lasting change starts with our mindset. And while these are not, you know, the only mindsets involved in servant leadership, probably, I picked five for this book. And one of them is the mindset of detachment. What is it? What it's not? And much more. So let's get started. All right, so we are going to talk about an idea, a mindset called detachment. Now, in this book that I'm writing, there are five mindsets. Mindset one is vulnerability. Two is spirituality. Three is surrender. Four is detachment. And five is gratitude. So we're sticking with detachment because I think detachment in many ways, can get confused with surrender, first of all, but 
because of that, it can be somewhat more difficult to understand. And so my hope is that what I can do is kind of simplify what I mean and what I don't mean by detachment and then really focus on how we fail at this. Now, the reason why I like to talk about how we fail at this is because for me, I learned the most by like the anti-example. The anti-example actually shows up more often in my life. In other words, oh, I see I'm failing at that all the time. It's not meant to be judgmental or to um, make anyone feel bad. Any kind of change starts with awareness and giving anti-examples or ways that we're failing at something or examples of how we have pain in our life around a certain topic often can create just enough initial awareness to help us change over the long term. So what you're not going to learn today is how to detach, I'm sorry, but you're going to learn what it looks like and some ways that you might be failing to attach, or in other words, you might be overly attached in certain areas of your life. And my hope is that you'll simply be more aware in the future. Now, if you look up the word detachment, you'll see a smattering, a smattering, when I say smathering, I think of peanut butter for some reason. I don't know what it is. Smather. A smathering of peanut butter. So, so when I think of detachment or when I look it up, you'll see a bunch of different definitions. Okay. And they're all these essentially like descriptor words, synonyms that are all fall under one definition. And where they start are things like a lack of care. Um, removal of emotion or disconnection. That can be detachment, absolutely. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about are some more positive connotations of detachment. Here are a few of them I found. A state of being open-minded, neutral or neutrality, a lack of prejudice, a lack of selfishness. I like those. I, I think those are four things that if I would try to achieve those things. If that's what detachment is, I want to do those things. Now, some people might think, as I did, that detachment is the same or very similar to surrender. Now, while I haven't on the podcast talked about surrender, I do want to mention this in case any of you out there have studied this idea of surrender and I, so that I can kind of create some clarity. Surrender is like an emotional letting go. Detachment then is more of the mental piece. If you can envision this, surrender is putting the thing down and detachment is walking away. So there are things that we can emotionally let go of, but we keep picking them up mentally. We have to keep convincing ourselves cognitively that this is something or not something we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And so there's this kind of ping pong effect in our brain. We have not yet detached from it. That's a really hard way to describe it, but that's the best way I can describe the slight difference between surrender and detachment. Now, there are three ways that I think, especially in the professional setting, this is a leadership podcast, side note, Someone said to me, are you going to pick like a, a really narrow focus to, for marketing and, and, you know, like a lane for your podcast? I'm like, well, it's leadership. And the criticism, well, that's too broad. <laughs> okay. Um, here's the thing. I'm having fun doing it. And 
maybe a lane will develop naturally, but I'm going to try really hard to keep this to the professional setting because we are a leadership podcast. However, I encourage you to think very critically about how you might also apply these same ideas to your personal relationships, relationships, you know, with your family, things that you do in the community, etc., and even maybe even yourself. Why? I believe that anytime we grow and develop, we don't do it necessarily in silos. If you get great leadership development that challenges you to grow professionally, hopefully there's some kind of cross benefit to that personally. That's my hope for you. So we're going to stick to the professional as much as we can. So number one way that we fail to, to detach is we connect our work with our worth. Now you could interpret that as we connect what we do, our actions with our value But if we're thinking about the workplace, we connect our job, our performance, our results. We're getting the value that we place on ourselves from the outcomes that we can produce. Now, if you say, yeah, that's me, guess what? It's not your fault. You're wired, most human beings, I should say, although I've met a few that are pretty lethargic, but um, most of us are wired to accomplish a thing right? And some of us, depending on our personalities and our drives, we're more wired this way. And some of us are less wired this way. I am very, very wired for achievement, accomplishment. You look at my strength finders, number one shocker is achiever, right? I want to do, and I want you to say that you loved it and it was a good job and blah, 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 right? stroke that ego because that tells me that my work was worth the effort. In other words, I'm getting value. I'm deriving self-worth from my work. Don't get me wrong. Excellence is good. Doing what you do and doing it well is a worthy endeavor. Absolutely. But what happens is we over-identify with outcomes to the point that if we fail at work, we then begin to believe we are a failure. So what we've done is we have made our value as a person equivalent to the value we can produce or equivalent to what we can produce. And this is very dangerous. It's important to understand that there's you and then there's the work you produce. There's you and then there's your outcomes. And this is, this is tough. What I encourage you to do is to just be more aware of any self-talk going on in that brain of yours that when you mess up at work, that you're like, stupid, 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 you're such an idiot, you know, you're such a failure. You're over-identifying your work, what you can produce with who you are as a person. And we've got to separate those two. We've got to detach from our work so that when we... And it might not be a total failure. It might just be you're late on something. I don't know. Um, But whatever failure or somewhere where we've fallen short in our performance at work, that we are not applying this to our value as a human being. And instead, we're seeing it for what it is and seeing it for, you know, in the eyes of reality. So, for example, if you are working on a project and you totally missed a deadline And as a result, you were taken off the project. 
that would be a harsh punishment, but it has happened to people, right? They're like, well, this, this person couldn't perform, so we're taking them off the project. You will feel like you failed, and if you're not careful, you will feel like a failure. The way to detach from that situation is to look, for, look at it in the actual light of the truth. The truth is what? I don't know. You were late. You didn't meet a deadline. You didn't create the PowerPoint in a beautiful way that impressed people. I don't know what it was, but you simply tell yourself the fact of the situation and you don't allow it to tell you the value as a person. So you separate what you, who you are, your value as a person and what you produce. The second way that we fail to detach is we fail to detach from the need to be right. The best ideas will never bubble to the top if you are always right. If you're the leader and you have to have all the answers, you do not ask for help, and it's driven from this need that, well, I should know this, and I have to be right. After all, I'm the leader. And I think, by the way, some leaders innocently believe this. In other words, they falsely believe that, well, now that I'm in leadership, now that I'm a manager, whatever, I should have all the answers. And that's simply not true. It's not true at all. In fact, some of the greatest leaders are not those who know the answers, but those who know how to put the right people around them that know the answers. Here's the danger of needing to always be right at work. It inhibits the innovation of those around you. If you can't identify your own unique value, which by the way, no one listening to this podcast, no one in this room right now has a unique value that is all the things, okay? So your unique value, if you're lucky, is like three to five things, okay? Like my board has given me three things. You're like, Shannon, this is what we see and I agree with them. I'm like, yep, those are the three things. So they always are gonna wanna know, How are you doing on those three things? Are you moving the needle on those three things? Then my job becomes hiring people, finding volunteers, engaging with partners who can do the other things that require me to run this organization. It's it's their unique value. Now think of this in terms of a large organization. If you're the leader that has to always be right, guess what? Now the people who work for you, they don't think that they have any unique value to offer and they do not believe that they're making an impact. Gallup tells us that 77% of the workforce is disengaged. They cannot connect what they do to a higher purpose, and so they are disengaged at work. Now, this is a scary statistic because we are spending, and I think I talked about this last time, we are spending $50 billion a year on leadership development, $50 billion a year as a country. Interestingly enough, the most of that spend is on business acumen. So we're helping people to be more knowledgeable in business acumen, and yet our workplaces, we have 77% of people are disengaged. It's not working, folks. This is not what people, you do not need to be right and know everything about everything in order to have a highly engaged and successful and productive workplace. The, The numbers don't lie. Now, am I saying I have a statistical connection? No, but I do believe, I do believe I have a correlation here. Definitely have a correlation. 
Interestingly enough, the least amount of spend is on self-awareness and emotional intelligence training, which of course, you know my platform, Jonathan, which is this is exactly what we need in order to be successful and productive, et cetera. Um, side note, 3M. Did I tell you about this? No. The company 3M. You probably don't think of millennials, young, hip people working for 3M, right? right. We're talking tape, right? I know they do more than that. Uh, they're tape. They're tape. No, they have a huge millennial workforce. They did a big study and they learned that the two things millennials want the most at work, number one, personal development, and number two, to feel like they're having an impact at work. So if you've got these um, young, bright, talented millennials working for you and you are not helping them develop personally and giving them a place to innovate and show that they have an impact on the direction, on something, that they influence something at their place of employment, you are going to lose them. I'm sick and tired of this statistic. Oh, millennials are so, you know, they're so self-righteous and demanding. They leave their jobs after 18 to 24 months. Well, yeah, because they're working for places that don't leave room for them to innovate, don't leave room for them to have an impact. And that is so important. So your need to be right, Mr. or Miss Leader, is actually inhibiting the creativity, the talent, the innovation that you actually need to take the organization to a higher level. You can apply that to a team setting, whatever you want, as big or as small as you want. Listen, you are not the smartest person in the room. I know that might be a shocker for some of you. There is no way that you as an individual are smarter and wiser than the collective wisdom of your entire team. There's just no way. I don't believe it. And when you tap into that collective wisdom, the entire organization rises. I don't want to get too deep into this, but oftentimes our need to be right is actually rooted in this idea that we are less than if we are wrong. Instead, if we think about one of those words around detachment, like neutral, what if being wrong or not, or simply maybe we aren't wrong, maybe we just don't know the right answer. Maybe it's just an I don't know. We're like IDK. If we're having an IDK moment, what if that stopped meaning that we were any less than who we are, that we're any less than worthy, any less than intelligent and fantastic. What if it just meant we didn't know? What happens is we overly attach to having the answer because we've made it mean that, well, if I have the right answer, then I'm worthy, then I'm good, then I'm successful. What if it didn't mean that anymore? What if it simply meant you didn't have the answer and someone else does? Well, then that's going to create an opportunity for you to go find the right person who knows the answer. So we've got to give up the need to be right. It's rooted in our ego. It's rooted in a belief that it says something negative about us if we're not right. And it's just not true. The final way that I believe we fail to detach is we fail to detach from people. Now, I don't mean we should disconnect from them. I don't mean we should hide in a cubicle or in a corner office and ignore people all day. All the introverts out there are disappointed that you don't get to do that. But what I mean is we don't take on other people's emotions and drama, decisions, results as our own. I can't tell you how many business leaders of both small and large organizations 
that I sit down and talk to and ask about their top problems. And the first thing they tell me is that they made a decision and a bunch of people didn't like it and they don't know what to do about it. Listen, as a leader of an organization, people are always going to be disappointed with your decisions. There are, there's never going to be a time where you make a decision and everybody's on board and is enthusiastic. That's the way it goes. But if you're over-identifying with that and making it mean something more than it is, well, what is it? It's just someone disagreeing. It's someone being disappointed. That's it. End of story. I talk about this in our workshop sh- workshops in terms of a hula hoop. Everyone knows what a hula hoop right, is, right? So imagine a hula hoop around you. Here's what's inside your hula hoop. The events of your life. What are events? Anything that happens. Simple, right? Okay. You have thoughts about those events. Those thoughts create feelings. Those feelings inspire your action and your actions give you your results. All of that is yours. Okay. Now, someone might say, yeah, but someone did something to me and that changed my, an event in my life or it caused a circumstance in my life. Okay. I'll go with you there. In your circumstances or events, there are two basic kinds. Number one, the kind that you create as because of your results, right? You have results in your life that create a new situation, a new event, a new circumstance. But then you have things that go on around you that are not inside of your hula hoop that then come inside your hula hoop because they affect your life. But here's the thing. You still get to decide what that means. If you decide to over-identify with the circumstances of your life, whether you cause them or not, you will have thoughts around the meaning that you've placed on that circumstance that will drive your emotions in one direction or another. You get to choose the thought. Now, some people say, well, I can't control the first thought. Okay, that's probably true from, you know, from a psychological standpoint. In fact, I would argue even further that a lot of those initial thoughts are informed by our programming, our upbringing, you know, our experiences as children, whatever. I'm not a psychotherapist that is way above my pay grade, but I think that's a basic understanding. However, when you're aware that you are attaching some sort of thought that is not serving you well and creating the emotional environment that you desire, you can choose a new one. You are responsible for the thoughts you think after the initial thought. You are also responsible for the feelings that you have, the actions that you take as a result, which ultimately makes you responsible for your results. Now, here's the problem with people. They have a hula hoop too. They have circumstances. They have thoughts about their circumstances, feelings about them. They act a certain way as a result and they're getting their own outcomes, right? Sometimes people in their hula hoop are blaming something in your hula hoop. They're wrong. They, it's not their fault. They're just not aware. We're all wired for survival, right? We've got this monkey brain going and our monkey brain says we want the fastest resolution from point A to point Z and we want to take the quickest path. Those are called neural pathways. And when our brain takes that quick path, that quick path is based on our programming as children, right? So someone else's hula hoop has a circumstance going on at work. You made a decision as a leader that impacted their department. 
rut row. Has this ever happened to you at work, Jonathan? Yeah. Did decisions come down that impact your, what's your department? Uh, credit. Credit. Or credit department. Credit department. So something impacts the credit department. And now Jonathan has a thought about this. Maybe the initial thought is those jerks. I'm being nice. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. That's what I say. <laughs> uh, but because Jonathan's aware, he might be like, wait, I don't like how that makes me feel. And I don't want to show up like that. Here's the thing. All of us adults with our hula hoop have a right to show up in our hula hoop however we want. Yes, the way we show up impacts other people's hula hoop, but we are still responsible to respond in a way that aligns with who we want to be and how we want to show up or not. That is your decision as an individual volition, okay? If a decision comes down into Jonathan's department and the general consensus is this sucks, you know, they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, they don't understand how this impacts us. Who cares? They are essentially having damaging thoughts that are on the line of victimhood. Anytime we have victim thoughts, we have feelings of apathy. A feeling of apathy in that situation would be simply, why bother? Does that make sense? Like, if I'm thinking they don't care about me, um, they don't understand how this impacts me. Woe is me, Charlie Brown, Eeyore, wah, wah, wah. What am I, are they going to get my discretionary effort? No, because I still want my paycheck. I'm probably going to do the bare minimum so that I don't get fired. I'm going to do C plus. I once had a friend, her sister used to say at work, I give B minus so that every once in a while, when I give an A, they think it's really good. <laughs> We were younger back then and less that's, aware. That's not a bad idea. It's actually pretty funny. Um, not recommending that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Disclaimer. But if Jonathan or whoever on his team says, you know what? Instead of getting stuck in that victim thinking, going, wait a second. This is not who I am or how I want to be. I'm making a decision for me in my hula hoop. And if my boss or supervisor or whatever is going to bring down a decision that's just thoughtless and they did it in a way that was disrespectful, whatever, I don't like it, but they are allowed to act that way, right? Because I've detached from the need to be right, it also means I don't need to make you wrong. And so now as I detach from you as a person, what I'm saying is you can be you, but I'm going to choose to be me regardless of who you, uh, regardless of the you, you decide to be. So instead, if Jonathan or someone in his team says, you know what, um, this didn't come down the way we wanted it to, or the way we thought it was going to, but let's do this. Let's get together. And now let's think about what's possible. Can you already sense a change in tenor from, I wonder what's possible versus they don't care about us. It might be true that they don't care about you. I doubt it. But it, let's say it's true. And you can't change it. You can't control it. So why not choose a response that creates the environment that you want to create for yourself at work? Why, don't, why not take control of that? So when I have a thought of, I wonder what this makes possible, that's a mindset of curiosity. Curiosity creates a feeling of wonder 
can even create a feeling of compassion. It can create a feeling of excitement. And now I'm acting out of a feeling of curiosity and excitement and empowerment, regardless of what Joe Boss did, right? And now I'm going to have more optimal results because anytime you act out of love, excitement, encouragement, you will have better results. That's just the way it works. And so you have to separate your hula hoop from someone else's hula hoop and be aware of when you are allowing someone else's hula hoop to affect yours, blaming them when really you're responsible. The other way we do this very quickly is we believe that by withholding something in our actions, like, well, I don't want to say that, or I don't want to do that. We believe that we can prevent someone from feeling something or thinking something or acting a certain way. We do this all the time, right? In our personal life, it's like, well, I can't say that to my mom because then her feelings will be hurt. Her feelings might be hurt, but they are her feelings. You cannot cause someone to be hurt. They choose to be hurt because, remember the hula hoop, they've had a feeling that was informed by a thought and that thought was created by a meaning that they gave something you said. That's all on them. So the key to remember here is you have this working, other people have it working, you are responsible for yours, they are responsible for theirs. The quicker you can detach from people, the more readily as a leader, you can make decisions that are more well thought out, that are considering of greater choices for everybody and upping the chance that you're going to find the win-win for as many people as possible because you're not thinking in terms of this limited victimhood thinking. I want to stress here that I've just scratched the surface of detachment as well as this hula hoop idea. If you want to learn more, visit our website. We have all kinds of trainings. We do coaching around this kind of stuff. We work with both individuals and teams and organizations to help them really ingrain this kind of awareness and mindset into their everyday work. Some people, you know, they try to push us in a corner a little bit and say, yeah, but what, what about this? We, we need training around conflict resolution. And yeah, we do that. But here's the thing. If you're like my high school government teacher, I'll just say Mr. E. I don't know if he's still alive or not. He was my favorite teacher, by the way. So Mr. E, when he would get frustrated with a student, he would throw an eraser at their head. You couldn't do that today, by the way, unless you want to go to jail. And it was a racer, so it was soft. There were no bruises or anything. At most, you got like a big white mark on your That's face. Justification. It right. Was, it, it was, was just so- an eraser. Like, yes, he assaulted me. Right. Forget it was very disrespectful in, in actual physical assault, but just an eraser. But it didn't hurt as bad. So, um, but yeah, you wouldn't want to do that today. Um, but let's say, and he did it in jest, so he wasn't actually angry. But anyway, let's say he was truly angry and just like, uh, hurled that thing across the classroom. If the administration found out and went to Mr. E and said, Hey, we're going to send you to anger management class. And you're going to learn five ways to resolve anger without physical force. He's going to go to that class and he's going to learn. And I bet you his behavior would change for a while, but eventually Mr. E is going to throw that eraser again. How do I know this? Because until someone would address with Mr. E the underlining belief system that told him in those thoughts, feelings that gave these results, this action of him throwing this this eraser, until he got to the root and got aware 
of the hidden beliefs and thoughts that created the scenario in the first place, you can't create any real change. So that's why we do this. We're trying to help people embody servant leadership. And it starts with this mindfulness, with this self-awareness around how we show up, how do we want to show up, what's the gap in between those two things, and then how do we bridge that gap? Okay, I want to remind you once again, Impact Columbus, Thursday, October 17th at the beautiful Cameron Mitchell venue called The Exchange at Bridge Park. You can learn more. Get your tickets at impactcolumbus.com. I hope to see a bunch of our listeners there. Until next time.